What good is the church? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think this is a very important question. I'm lucky enough to be part of a church that believes that the church is meant to be a blessing to her neighbors and to the world. We really want to be that kind of church. We're just followers of Jesus who are surprised by his grace and his love for us. So it's our desire to be instruments of that grace and love as we go about our everyday lives. This is our first season of our podcast. It's designed for our church, but we hope it'll be a blessing to others as well. This series of messages lays out the foundations of our sense of where God is leading us as we enter into a new season of ministry. My name's Chad Herb. I'm the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood. Welcome to the first season of our podcast. It's titled Gathered and Sent. Beth always sets me up so well, it's almost like she knows what I'm going to talk about. Um, Okay, so... uh, When you think about the story she just told, you need to remember, and you need to remember this, set this next to everything that you're going to hear me say today, okay? Because I'm just telling you right off the start, today's tough. This is going to be hard. So I want you to set next to everything you hear today, that image of David dancing, and remember that David, I mean, at least at the time, was probably like the wealthiest and most powerful man that there was. I mean, throughout history, He's right up there with the most wealthy and powerful people that ever lived. And David did some really stupid things. The Bible is not shy of describing to us who David was. But do you know what the Bible tells us about David? That in spite of his wealth, in spite of his power, and in spite of his own stupidity, that he was a man after God's own heart. That he honored and glorified God first. And that's why he was blessed That's why he's known today. That's why it's from his line that Jesus was born. So it's really important that you remember that David was one of the wealthiest and most powerful men that ever lived, okay? But was still a man after God's own heart. He sang a song. He didn't just dance to silence. Uh, He had a song written, and when the ark was coming in, they sang this. Uh, It said, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. This is the word of God. And thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, pray that you'd be present with us. Uh, We pray that you would always be present with us. But this morning, especially, um, as we read some really difficult passages in scripture um, that are going to confront us that are going to make us ask questions about ourselves as individuals and as a church. We pray that you would lovingly guide us through this. And we pray that it would not be stuff that just goes in one ear and out the other because it's uncomfortable, but that it would be truth that would transform us from the inside. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. So right in the middle of that song of praise, he throws in, for the gods of the nations are all idols, but the Lord is the one who made the heavens. So now we've known for a few months uh, that we would start 2020 with a series about the direction and the values that we're going to have moving forward. And we knew that that would include conversations about worship and discipleship and mission. Uh, We've been talking about this for months. I've been thinking about this stuff for years. Uh, But if I'm honest, it's only been in the past couple weeks that I've had a little bit of clarity about how to talk about particularly this today. 
Um, I have the privilege of being a part of two Bible studies each week. Um, one on Monday morning, there's some sweet people who have met for years every Monday at 6 a.m. And then they heard I was coming and they moved it to 7. <laughs> Actually, I think they did that earlier, but anyway. Uh, and then I also get to hang out with some awesome retired men um, every Thursday. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, our Thursday group uh, started reading Isaiah, just reading through it and talking about it. Now, Isaiah is awesome, but it starts out really, really rough. I want you to hear the first, uh, the first section of verses. This is from Isaiah 1. And I want you to know ahead of time what you're about to hear. God is talking through Isaiah the prophet to his people. He's talking to Israel. He is not talking about some other nation. And you'll see in a second why I point that out. So this is Isaiah 1, uh, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Do you understand what I was saying? He is not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He is calling Israel Sodom and Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings, rams, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. We probably should have prayed after that one. <laughs> That's really tough. Uh, but do you know what God is condemning? What specific thing they're doing that he's condemning? He's condemning their worship. He's calling them out for the way that they are coming to him, for the way that they are presenting their offerings. He's calling them out for the way that they're singing their songs, for the way that they're praying their prayers. Now, he's the one that told them to do all that. So what seemed like obedience to God's instructions on how they were to worship, their worship over time became detestable to God. And he uses really strong language to make that clear. Now, we might think this is just one section kind of pulled out of a huge Bible. Maybe Isaiah was just a little grumpy. Prophets can be kind of grumpy, but it's not. This is a really common theme, and it shows up in almost all the prophets. God is saying to his people, you're going through the motions, but you forgot why. You forgot the point. You forgot about me. You have built these kingdoms for yourselves and now you're building these kingdoms for yourselves at the expense of mine. He's saying to his people, I created you to be a people, I gathered you together to be a people who were strong so that you could be sent out and focused on others, but you've turned that focus inward on yourselves. You were meant to live for others, to be a blessing to others, but now you only think of yourselves. So he tells them that the only remedy is to worship in a new way. And begin by doing justice. He tells them, stop singing your songs and go do something. Return to me. Deny yourselves and these little kingdoms that you've built and take up the cause of others. But before you take up the cause of others, return to me. This is a really difficult text. But it's important. 
It's important because every time we look at Israel, and especially when we read God's criticism of Israel, we have to look within ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves similar questions. Are we truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Or are we just going through the motions? Singing songs, praying prayers, giving him enough just to say we're giving? Are we just going through the motions here once a week and then going back to the world every other day, back to the business of building our little kingdoms? Are we becoming inwardly strong so that we can be outwardly focused or have we settled on just being inwardly focused? So that's been the focus of our conversations on Thursday mornings. You're welcome to join us anytime. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but this past week, uh, on Mondays, uh, we started, we're reading through Matthew, and this past week we read Matthew 19. Uh, so before I read that one, I do want to say a couple things. Uh, the first of which, like the Isaiah passage, this passage in Matthew is really difficult. Like, really difficult. And I don't mean difficult to understand or to teach, it's actually pretty easy to do both. It's difficult because in one way or another, it punches each of us in the gut. That's what happened to this man in the story, it's what happens to each of us when we read it. Now the second thing I wanna say, I'm not sure if you've noticed, I was talking to Doran about this the other day, but over the past nine months, we haven't really spent a lot of time with the actual words of Jesus. We have covered a lot of scripture, but we haven't spent a lot of time with the red letters that we find in the Gospels. Do y'all know what I mean by that, the red letters? Like some Bibles put Jesus' words in red. That's actually been really intentional. Now for the past nine months, we have been making the case that faith is all about trust and obedience. And from the start, we've been looking at the character and the works of the God who is the only one who deserves our trust and obedience. So now it's time to start wrestling with the red letters because those letters describe for us exactly what trust and obedience look like. I was given this gift, uh, I got it from a white elephant exchange at Christmas and I won't tell you which of our elders uh, gave it because she may be embarrassed in the, of our nine elders, I think three are women, so we're really narrowing it down. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, if you go to my office, you'll see a bunch of books, you'll see a bunch of Star Wars stuff, of course, uh, but you'll also see a little section that has what some people would consider to be uh, like sacrilegious toys, pretty much. Um, this is one of them, and this is Buddy Christ. Um, it comes from a movie, the movie's not necessarily appropriate, so we won't talk about that, but uh, this is called the Buddy Christ. Um, now, I don't think that these sacrilegious toys that I love and collect, um, I don't think that they're mocking Jesus. If I did, I wouldn't have them. I think that they're mocking our culture. This one in particular is mocking a culture that has turned the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, into some happy hippie friend who's come just to hang out and to tell us how perfect and amazing we are in every way. That is not who Jesus is. That is not how Jesus is presented in scripture. He is full of grace, full of truth, full of love, absolutely. But he is not a buddy that's here just to tell us what we want to hear. And we know this because the red letters themselves, his words in the gospels, they often do the exact opposite. So as we get ready to read some of those red letters, we have to remember that our job is to listen, to trust, and obey not to argue with him about whether he's right or not, whether we like what he has to say or not. If we're still having conversations about whether Jesus is right or not, then we aren't ready for the red letters. 
And then one last quick thing. Uh, just remember, these are Jesus' words, not Chad's words. So as we read this, if you have issues, email him, okay? <laughs> All right, let's see what he has to say. So this is Matthew 19, and I'm going to read verse 16 through 22. Uh, so just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. <laughs> Which ones, he inquired. Just, yeah. Thank you. I think that's funny too, but I'm a nerd, so I don't know if that's just me. I'm not calling anybody a nerd. I'm just, anyway, okay. Uh, so he said, which ones? Jesus replies, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I told you this was tough, um, but I do want to tell you from the start, if it helps, this passage isn't just about money. It's actually about something even harder. Uh, it's about worship and idolatry. This particular idol that's brought up in this passage, money, it's just really insidious because it can start out as innocent. Like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to provide for our families, right? It can start out as innocent, but our desire to possess, our desire to attain more and more, ultimately that desire can possess and attain us. And y'all, we know this is true. I mean, what leads to cheating in professional sports? I mean, we might say winning, but if it was really just about winning, wouldn't you want to win on your own merits? In professional sports, what is winning really about? It's about money. Winning is what brings in money. In our marriages, it's not the only thing, but what often causes so much trouble in marriages, what leads to so many divorces? It's money. It's only in this moment in human history that the idea of just war is really a thing, where we go fight wars because people are oppressed. Throughout human history, what have most wars been fought over? If not cash, then land and stuff, people, commodities. It's the stuff that is insidious and it can change us from the inside. In this story, a rich man approaches Jesus and he asks what seems like a really simple and innocent question. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, I do this all the time, but have you ever, you meant to say the right thing, but like everything you said just was wrong? <laughs> Every single word out of that man's mouth was wrong. The first thing is he comes to Jesus as a teacher. Now, Jesus was a teacher, but that's not who he was. That's not his core identity. At his core, he's Lord and Savior. Teacher is closer to Buddy Christ. Lord and Savior is something very different. So this first verse challenges us. Do we approach Jesus as a teacher who just has some information for us and we can choose whether we want to follow it or not? Or are we approaching him as our Lord and Savior? And the answer to that question really matters. It's actually the fundamental question that this passage is asking. 
Because if we approach him as a teacher and don't like what he has to say, what do we do? We just move on and find another teacher. But if he is who he says he is, if he is our Lord, if he is the perfect and holy son of God, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, then y'all, we don't get a choice. We come to him with a question, and then we listen and trust and obey his answer. So that's his first mistake. The second one, he says, what good thing must I do to get, and the language is actually, to get life eternal. I mean, everything he just said is wrong. Now, on this side of it, we know that because we know that there's no good thing that we can do, right? There is no doing that will get us into God's kingdom. What's a little less obvious, this rich man asks, how can I get it? Now, some, trans- some translations say, how can I have? How can I have life eternal? That's a word for possession, How can I come to possess a thing is the question this rich man is asking. He's asking, what is it going to cost me? This man with resources, most likely, most things and most people, even religious people, have been easily attained by him. Do you hear him asking, Jesus, how much is this going to cost me? He probably believed, like many people today, that everything has a price. So Jesus lets him off the hook. He doesn't tear him down like I just did. Uh, Jesus responds and says this, why do you ask me what is good? He said, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, excuse me, keep the commandments. Straight to the point. He's not telling this man what he wants to hear. He's telling them the truth. Only God is good. You can't do anything good enough to get yourself in. Only God is good. Goodness itself comes from God. Anything good in me is just a gift from him. But then Jesus changes the language. He rephrases the question completely. Because to Jesus, it's not about having or getting or possessing eternal life. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It's simply about entering into the kingdom of God. Not eternal life or life eternal, what this man was asking is, how do I make sure this life that I built, how do I make sure that lasts forever? Jesus is saying, this is the way to enter real life. What's it going to cost me so that what I built will last forever? Jesus says, friend, like you're already dead. You walk through life in the valley of the shadow of death. If you want to be brought to life, if you want to inherit real life, keep the commandments. Now, that might be confusing. If there's nothing we can do to possess or get eternal life on our own, then why does Jesus tell him to go keep the commandments? Go keep the law. Go do good works. Well, look at the list of commandments real quick. Uh, There are four out of the Ten Commandments he lists, and then he adds this little tag at the end of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But do you notice what's missing? If you're a Ten Commandments scholar, do you notice what's missing? Um, So I've always focused on the fact that he doesn't mention the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet, right? What does that mean? You shall not want all the stuff. So that's pretty appropriate when he's talking to a rich young man. He's being gracious, But on Monday, I noticed something that was even more interesting, and I'd never really seen it before. Um, He starts not with the first commandment, but he starts with the fifth. You see, the fifth through the tenth commandments, they're all about how we interact with and love one another. They summarize what it means to love your neighbor. But the commands of God don't start with loving your neighbor. They start with loving God. 
You see, Jesus leaves out the first through fourth commands because those are the real issue. Those are the commands that this man has not kept. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and the second commandment, do not make yourself an idol. Those are the key to everything. Because disobedience to those first two commands, it's not overcome because you're obedient to the rest of them. And like logically, we know this is true. Um, You can spend your entire life not murdering people. (laughs) But do you think that obeying that one command is the answer to real life? It just makes you not a murderer, right? You can go down the list and do that. You don't commit adultery, but is the key to real life just not committing adultery? No, it's not. You see, the commands Jesus recites, apart from the command to worship God and God alone, those are how we show love to others. But when that love toward others is done out of loving obedience to the one who is providing true life, Now that is the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about. That's the life that he wants us to enter into. That is the life that we get to inherit. Understanding that God alone is worthy of our praise, worthy of our trust and obedience, that is the key to everything that follows. Look, it's good to be a good person, but simply being a good person isn't the point. Especially if we're sacrificing ourselves at the altar of false idols. Any goodness in me isn't the goal of the kingdom of God. God's glory is the goal of the kingdom of God. My part in proclaiming God's glory, God's goodness, rather than letting idols rule and own and change me, my part is to allow God's goodness to overcome and transform me. You see, this man thinks that he's kept the law, at least the ones that Jesus recited. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He lands one final, really loving punch to the gut. He says, if you want to be perfect, which just, um, it's not about never sinning. If you want to be made complete is really the way to say that. If you want to be made complete, if you want to be made whole, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I think that final verse is like one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. He had great wealth and he made his choice. I didn't realize this until this week. This is the only time in the gospels that someone turns down Jesus' call to come and follow him. It's the only time Jesus says to somebody directly, come follow me, and his call to discipleship is refused. It's refused because this man chose his God, money, over the one true God found in Jesus. He sacrificed himself at the altar of literal things of this world. And that worship of his success, that worship of his stuff, that idolatry, it transformed him and convinced him to walk away from God. The things of this world prohibited him from entering into the next. What would King David, one of the wealthiest and most powerful men who ever lived, what would he say to this man? Well, look at the song he sang. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all other gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. It's the Lord who made the heavens. What would the prophet Isaiah say to this man? How would Isaiah call this man back to worship and trust and obey the only true God who's worthy of that? 
You want to know how you can buy? You want to know what you can do to get eternal life? Your sacrifices, what are they to me? I'm paraphrasing. I don't need your money. I have more than enough offerings. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Turn to me first and then to others. Stop worrying about yourself. He has spent his whole life looking out for himself. Probably an upwardly mobile guy, obtaining, possessing. And Chronicles, Isaiah, and Jesus, they all say to him, friend, it is time to let that stuff go. Turn your concern back toward God first, then toward other. That is the only path that will lead you to real life, to kingdom life. And that life is better than anything you could buy. It's better than anything you could obtain. It's better than anything that this world could ever offer. You see, I think the heartbreaking part of the story, when I think about this man, it really is tragic. He wanted his current possession-filled life to go on forever. But even in the midst of that, he didn't see the truth. He was actually the possession. He didn't own anything. All that stuff owned him. And it prevented him from finding real life. I mean, can you imagine the opportunity to follow Jesus? It prevented him from the adventure of a lifetime. Now, this is important for us to know. Um, So this is the story of a particular interaction between Jesus and this one man. This man who had chosen his God, the life he built and the stuff he owns over the one true God. In this case, for this man, the only way forward is to burn the false idol, get rid of it, and worship God. Because Jesus doesn't negotiate the kingdom. It's not for sale. It is what it is. And by not negotiating the kingdom, he watched someone that he loved walk away. Okay, so so what? Now what? What, what does this say to us? Well, I do want us to understand that this is a particular teaching for a particular man. This is not a doctrine or a teaching that you can't have things and also follow Jesus. Do you, did I say that right? <laughs> this is not saying that the only way to follow Jesus is to get rid of all your stuff. And we know that's true because that would mean that this is only a command that the rich could follow, right? You could only be obedient to this if you had stuff. Jesus doesn't give commands that a large portion of the population can't follow. We also know logically it doesn't make any sense that everyone would have to do this because if I sell all my stuff and give it to the poor, what does that make the poor? They are now rich. And what would the command then be to them? And where would the stuff go? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Like that, that just it cannot be the point. So, This can't be this universal command that the only way to follow Jesus is to have nothing. But there is in this story a universal command. Not that we sell our stuff, but that we burn our idols. We get rid of anything that would get in between us and God. Every man and woman, every time and culture, rich or poor, we have to get rid of whatever it is that takes precedence over God in our lives. Last week, we said that to worship is to live in joyful obedience to that which we give ultimate authority. So we have to be honest with ourselves. What in this life are we giving ultimate authority to? What are we worshiping? To what are we being obedient 
And if it's anything other than God, we have to get rid of it. We have to put it in its place. And then we return to scripture, we remember who God is, we turn to him in prayer, we remember what God has done, we turn to him. This is hard, y'all. We struggle to give things over in our lives. If I'm totally honest with you, at least right now, um, my main idols aren't things that we would consider evil. They're probably my family and my job. And those are good things, right? Those are good things. But not if they supersede God. Because the only way to be a good father to my kids is to show them the best I can what life looks like lived in loving obedience to God. It would be very easy to take this job and to desire to be upwardly mobile. To want this to be about me and what I'm able to do and how I would be able to grow this church. I know that's a lie, I know it's not true. And if I ever got to the place of my friends, if the elders around me, if they ever got to the place where they saw that my job had become an idol, what would I have to do? I have to walk away. We want to be in control. We want to be free. We want to be independent. We want to make our own way. We, we really want to be kings. But life is really a series of choices that give control over the things that matter most to us. And to a point that's okay, it's good for me to give control over to my family at times. It's good for me to give control over to things that are in authority over me, but not if it gets to the point where I've sold my soul for the things of this world. If I've sold my soul for things that we can't take with us. If we're gonna be inwardly strong and outwardly focused as individuals and as a church, then we have to accept the truth that faith in Jesus is a radical call to trust in and obey him, and that trust and obedience has to override everything else, everything. We know we're right and on the right track if we are in accordance with scripture, if we are turning to scripture, if we are spending time in prayer, if we are seeking him first. We stay on track by constantly remember to worship him, to submit to him and follow as his disciple, and then to serve him and others however he calls us to do that. And not seasonally, not when I want to, not because I've been good at everything else in my life, now let's see if I can do good in the religious sphere. But always, consistently and obediently, trusting him with everything. Especially when we'd rather not. This is hard. It's really hard. The beautiful thing is, the true Jesus, not buddy Jesus, the true Jesus walks alongside us through this. The man walks away from him, Jesus doesn't walk away from the man, right? So we take our time and we work through this and we figure out what is it that is separating me from the love of God that is keeping me from turning to God first. And together, we get rid of it. We put this world in its place and we honor and adore and worship God first. Is that fair? Can I get a big old Baptist amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, this is is tough, um, but so is much of scripture. Um, So God, we, we are trying to be faithful and obedient. We are trying to listen to even the hardest things in scripture and see what they might be saying to us each day. Um, But we need your mercy. Uh, We need your presence. 
Uh, we need you with us if we're going to do that. Um, so God, continue to be gracious. Uh, continue to give us your love. Continue to walk alongside us as we just work through day by day what it means to be your true follower, what it means to be a person who is a blessing to others, what it means to be a person who's being made each day into a disciple, reformed in the image of God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.